Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Stephanie, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop, the 10th Annual Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer, and today's uh, part four of that series, and it is Managing Post-Treatment Neuropathy is the focus of our program today. Now, we have an enormous collaborative effort on this program, and I want to address who the collaborating organizations are. We have the National Cancer Institute, Live Strong, the American Cancer Society, Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And it really is because of that collaboration and all the other cancer organizations that work with us throughout the year that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. So we have on the call today over 3,431 participants. So this is a very large conference call. And um, you come from all over the United States, and we also have international participants from Canada, China, India, Ireland, Jamaica, Jordan, Malaysia, Northern Mariana Islands, South Africa, Saudi Arabia, Trinidad and Tobago, the United Kingdom, Venezuela, and the Virgin Islands. So you really come from all over the world, really. Um, it's a real credit to all of you that you're on the call today. Now, today's program is made possible by support from the National Cancer Institute and Live Strong. And I'd like to introduce um, um, to all of you Dr. Carly Perry. And Dr. Perry is Program Director, Office of Cancer Survivorship, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, the National Cancer Institute and National Institutes of Health. And Dr. Perry is going to actually say, uh, welcome all of you as well, but also as a co-moderator, she's also going to say a word or two about just why we're doing this program in this series and why it's so important for survivors. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Perry. Thank you, Carolyn. And let me add my welcome to our speakers and to the listeners who've joined us for today's workshop. I'm honored to co-host this 10th Annual Cancer Survivorship Teleconference Series, focusing on the issues faced by cancer survivors and their loved ones after treatment ends. On behalf of the National Cancer Institute, represented by my office, the Office of Cancer Survivorship, and by the Office of Communications and Education, we are pleased to serve once again as an organizational partner and co-funder of this program. The number of participants in this survivorship series and the diversity of countries you represent have grown over the years. While we're gratified by this response, we recognize that the popularity of this series is a testament to the fact that for many cancer survivors, even though cancer treatment is over, the cancer experience is definitely not. To that end and that point, there is now a significant body of scientific research demonstrating an association between common treatment modalities and neuropathy. Post-treatment neuropathy can have a significant impact on cancer survivors' quality of life and physical functioning. Today's presentations focus on understanding post-treatment neuropathy, factors that may contribute to its development, the role of medication and rehabilitation in managing neuropathy, and practical tips for better coping. We have three national experts today who will be speaking to this topic. Again, I'm delighted to be co-hosting this workshop with my colleague, Dr. Carolyn Messner. And I'll now turn the program over to her. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Perry, for those wonderful words of welcome and also for really setting the context for the Survivorship Series today. I do want to turn all of your attention for a moment to all the materials that you received from Cancer Care. And those are materials that we hope that you will utilize um, both uh, today but also 
after the program ends as well. And there's lots of information about all the different collaborating organizations as resources for all of you. And there is um, in here also a wonderful Facing Forward series, which is a terrific series for all of you to access from the National Cancer Institute. So take a moment and actually um, and look at all those materials. There also is an evaluation form, and we so depend upon your feedback. We're in the process of planning next year's 11th Annual uh, Cancer Survivorship Series. And basically, each series is based on the feedback that we receive from each of you each year. So the topic, for example, today that we're offering is one that you've all recommended from previous years, and that's why we're doing this topic today. So take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. We very much appreciate that. We have wonderful speakers today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Julie Silver. Dr. Silver is um, Assistant Professor, Harvard Medical School, Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. And Dr. Silver is going to present to you both as a survivor and a physician um, perspectives on the impact of neuropathy on your quality of life. And it's now my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Silver. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here today and to talking to all of you, and, and thank you for being on this call. Um, this is the 10th annual uh, series, which means that it began just about the time that I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I'm about a 10-year survivor now, and so when I was going through treatment and I um, was getting chemotherapy, I remember my hands and my feet starting to tingle and get number and thinking about probably some of the things that you're thinking about now today, at least some of you are. Um, you know, should I still uh, be getting this type of chemotherapy? Is there another type? Um, how bad is this going to get? Will it get better when I'm done? And all kinds of different questions uh, went through my mind. I'm a physician, so I understand a lot about neuropathy, but when it's happening to you personally, it certainly takes on a different kind of meaning, and um, uh, experiencing that, I think, has, has given me some insights that perhaps I might uh, not have had just uh, hearing my patients explain it. So if you're on this call right now, I was, I was thinking that I really wanted to sort of do things in threes today. If you're on this call right now, there's a good chance that you're in one of three groups of people. Number one, you might be someone who's getting treatment now, especially chemotherapy. And you may have questions about um, whether you should be getting that type of chemotherapy and so on. And while we're not going to answer that question in this call because that's really something that you need to talk about with your doctors, um, that is a question that's on, on a lot of people's minds. Um, you know, the side effect of the chemotherapy, is that worth it and should I continue to do this? The second group of people um, may be people that are let's say a few weeks or a year or so or whatever, um, done with their treatment or done with the chemotherapy part of their treatment. So they may be wondering, gee, is, are my symptoms going to improve? Maybe they've proved, improved a little bit already or um, whatever, but they're sort of wondering how much better is this going to get. And the third group of people are really people that are more like me. They're many years out. And they're saying, all right, I'm still having some problems. What can I do about it? What, what help is there for me? And the good news is that no matter which group you're in, and I've been in all three groups, um, no matter which group you're in, there is help for you. And that's why I'm so happy to be part of this call and to really share my experiences. Certainly, if you're in any of those groups, you may be experiencing pain, and that is definitely something to talk with, about, with your doctor about um, because we really do want to manage pain as well as possible. But, you know, neuropathy doesn't just cause pain. There's something else that it causes, and that is disability. 
And in, in my medical specialty, physical medicine, rehabilitation, I'm a physiatrist, and in my medical specialty, we always talk about focus on function. And so I want to explain the difference between impairment and disability. The easiest way to explain it is if you think about someone with an amputation of their leg, let's say, and the impairment is the missing part of their leg. The disability is what they can't do because of the impairment. Maybe they can't run uh, a long way, like they couldn't do a marathon because of the, of the impairment, the missing part of their leg. So impairment and disability are actually different. And one thing to really understand about impairment is sometimes even when you can't change the impairment part, the, you can't um, grow someone's leg back or, or replace that, or if you're, if you're dealing with um, neuropathy, you can't necessarily always make the nerves better. A lot of times you can still change the level of disability and actually improve someone's ability to function. So if you're, if you're in that third group and you're 10 years out or 15 years out or five years out or whatever it is, there's still a really good chance that there's hope for you and that you can improve your level of disability. I remember um, one nurse navigator said at a hospital that I was at, she said, you know, I saw this man in the waiting room, and he was sitting there, and his appointment was over, and he just didn't leave. And finally, I went over to him, and I said, sir, um, you know, your appointment is over. Do you need help? What's going on? And he said, well, I'm having a lot of trouble getting my shirt buttoned. And she said, you know, right then it just occurred to me, this is terrible. There are certainly things that can help this gentleman button his shirt. Very simple things um, that perhaps an occupational therapist, for example, could prescribe and show someone how to use. Very inexpensive, very simple. And yet he was never offered this kind of help. He always had to struggle to try to get his shirt buttoned. And on this day he was particularly uh, distressed and just having trouble and could not get his shirt buttoned. So he didn't want to go out and leave the office until, or leave the hospital until he had it buttoned. So one of the things I just really want to um, convey to all of you is, as we listen to the next experts is that no matter what group you're in, there probably is help for you. But you may have to ask for it, and you may have to be specific, and you may have to really explain what's going on and why you need that help. Let me... Now, I said I was going to do groups of three. Here's my second group of three, and then I'll turn this over to the other speakers. But my second group of three is sort of what options are there for you? And we can kind of break this down into three as well. The first group of options are really medical decisions and interventions that you need to talk to your doctor about. And those are things like should you stay on this type of chemotherapy, uh, should the dosing be reduced? Should it be spread out over time so that there's longer, longer periods of time between doses? Um, should you switch to a different regimen? Should you stop altogether? All those kinds of questions are really questions that you need to talk over with your doctor. You also want to talk over questions, for example, um, like prescription medications. Should you um, get prescription medications for pain? What should the dose be of that? And so on. Sometimes medical testing is something, um, testing the nerves, like an EMG, electromyography, or a nerve conduction study. Sometimes testing would be things that you talk over with your doctor. So that's the first category. Those are things that you really need to talk over with your doctor and figure out a good strategy. The second category are things that you can be referred for to a cancer rehab team 
or a clinician. And a cancer rehab clinician, um, physiatrists are certainly cancer rehab uh, physicians. We're also doctors. Um, but uh, you can also be referred to an occupational or physical therapist who can help you with a lot of different kinds of interventions, sometimes so simple. Um, I always say that, that sometimes one appointment with, with an occupational therapist can totally transform your life and, and how you're functioning. So that's really nice to know. And then the third thing is what you can do at home. What are those things that you can do at home? And Cancer Care actually has some great information, and, and Carolyn Messner can um, give you more information at the end about um, all the different things that Cancer Care has. But Cancer Care has some really nice information um, that I have helped contribute to before on things that you can specifically do, including things like uh, rocker bottom shoes, uh, soles that um, are, are gently um, curved so that it, it helps you walk a little bit better. You don't want to get it too much curved because it kind of pitches you forward, but a gentle curve. Um, stress mats to stand on at home, smartphones. Um, I love my smartphone because it does so much with uh, the GPS, um, the global positioning, um, and I get lost all the time. So I'm always using my voice-activated uh, smartphone to get me places, and, and uh, I don't have to worry too much about typing. Even though my fingers actually work well and I can type well, I still really love the voice-activated um, part of that, and that's a great strategy if you're having some trouble with your fingers. The other thing that I really want to say um, before I, I hand this off, is that one of the things that you really want to be thinking about that you can actually do at home is, um, is the, this relationship between nerves and chemotherapy and nerves and alcohol. Chemotherapeutic drugs tend to be toxic to nerves. Your nerves really don't like the, the chemo drugs very much, um, at least some of the, the chemo drugs. They can be very toxic. Well, alcohol is actually the same thing or the same way. It's not the same thing as chemo, certainly, but it's the same type of toxin that your nerves don't really like. So with respect to chemo, you need that probably because you're trying to fight the cancer. With respect to alcohol, probably it's harder to make a case that you really need that, but they're both hurting your nerves. So if you don't want sort of that double whammy effect, um, one of the things to really be thinking about is could you cut back or even stop drinking alcohol altogether because alcohol really injures nerves and you really don't want to hit vulnerable nerves with yet another toxin. So just be thinking about that. I'll turn this over now to the other experts and um, certainly participate in questions later on if you have them. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Silver, for presenting both. Um, as a survivor and also in terms of content expertise, and it's very helpful to everyone, and um, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Nessa Coyle, and Dr. Coyle is consultant in oncology, pain and palliative care, and, and Dr. Coyle is going to address a number of different issues in terms of, um, of neuropathy. Um, she's going to provide an overview of post-treatment neuropathy, um, including factors contributing to neuropathy. Um, she's going to also um, describe neuropathy, how do you describe neuropathy to your healthcare team, and medications to treat the discomfort and pain of neuropathy. Um, it's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Coyle. Thank you very much, Carolyn, and I'm also delighted to be uh, part of this call. What I'm going to do is step back a little bit from um, what Dr. Silver discussed and talk about some of the mechanisms and definitions and risk factors for um, neuropathy, uh, post-chemotherapy neuropathy. 
And most uh, painful neuropathies, even though neuropathy itself does not have to be painful, but most painful neuropathies are associated uh, with cancer treatment caused by damage to peripheral nerves from one of three causes. It can be surgery, for example, a mastectomy, a lumpectomy, a lymph node dissection, or a thoracotomy. And so with a lymph node dissection, people uh, may feel this discomfort, this uh, dull ache, um, deep ache, which goes down uh, their arm. Also, certain uh, chemotherapeutic agents and radiation therapy. Radiation therapy as a cause of neuropathy is much less common now than it was two, uh, two decades ago as um, advances in, in radiation uh, have happened. So some of the uh, chemotherapy drugs uh, which uh, uh, can cause neuropathy are the platinum drugs like cisplatinum, carboplatinum, and oxyplatinum, the taxanes like taxol and taxotir, some of the epithelons like exempra, uh, the plank alkaloids, vimblastin, vincristin, uh, etepicide, uh, thalidomide, and um, felcrate. So it's a variety of chemotherapeutic uh, drugs which can be toxic to the nerves. How do people describe um, neuropathic pain? Well, think of your, 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 yourself um, if you do suffer from this. But often people talk about numbness, tingling, flickering sensation, a burning sensation, uh, feeling uh, excessive feelings of cold, hot, throbbing, itching. And sometimes this itching can actually be in the scalp and people don't know what's happening. There can be the electric shock-like uh, feelings, squeezing, tugging, and this deep, dull, bone-like ache, which can be very distressing. The other things that can happen is that a stimulus which does not normally evoke pain becomes painful. So if you just stroke, for example, your arm, um, normally that's not painful, but uh, it, you can get what's called allodynia, and that stimulus, just stroking your hand or arm, can become very painful. There's also something called hyperalgesia, so that that's when you have an exaggerated response to a normally painful stimulus. So, for example, if you give yourself a pinch as I talk, it's a little bit painful, but with hyperalgesia, it becomes intensely painful. And then again, as I mentioned before, this uh, cold intolerance. Uh, chemotherapy-induced uh, uh, peripheral neuropathy usually involves multiple nerves, and the symptoms frequently begin uh, uh, at the feet and progress to the hands, and hence you may have heard that term, stocking glove distribution. Uh, symptoms are usually symmetrical, so on both sides, and sometimes these symptoms are temporary and gradually diminish after cancer treatment has been completed. And at other times, the symptoms persist uh, for many years following the treatment, but they can be managed. The development of both short-term and long-term toxicity is highly dependent on several factors. Uh, examples are someone's age, so the older you are, the more likely you are to develop uh, neuropathy the intensity of the dose of chemotherapy that you've been given, uh, cumulative doses, so multiple doses of chemotherapy which are, are neurotoxic, a combination of a variety of chemotherapies which are neurotoxic in of themselves. Um, and someone can have already a coexisting neuropathy, uh, for example, like diabetic neuropathy, and so that can intensify with chemotherapy. And there also may be genetic susceptibilities and as Dr. Silva mentioned, alcohol use, and uh, for some impaired drug metabolism. It's very important that 
the physician or nurse is told if you have any of these symptoms. Because um, as Dr. Sova mentioned, they can have a major effect on quality of life. Uh, if in active treatment, uh, the chemotherapy regimen may need adjustment, but also at the same time the symptom itself needs to be treated. In addition, having the right diagnosis is essential, as not all neuropathies are caused by cancer or its treatment. Don't assume the symptoms are to be expected and self-medicate with uh, across-the-counter drugs. So really important that if you have any of these sensations, abnormal sensations, unfamiliar sensations to you, that you let your physician or nurse know. Uh, some of the um, neuropathic pain that's not associated with cancer or its treatment would be something like uh, shingles, herpes zoster, um, diabetes or arteriosclerosis, um, heavy alcohol use, perhaps a vitamin B uh, deficiency, especially B12, and uh, some sort of trauma which has caused damage to the nerves. It's important um, that, uh, and in most cancer centers it's done routinely, um, that screening and assessment for peripheral um, uh, neuropathy occurs, typically before starting a neurotoxic chemotherapy and ongoing after treatment with such agents have been started so that uh, initial assessment uh, is very usual now. Because pain can make such an issue, as well as the disability from the sensation itself and the numbness and the awkwardness and clumsiness you can get when you have numbness in your fingers, for example, or in your feet, um, pain itself can be cause uh, extraordinary uh, 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 impact on your quality of life. Remember that the person who's experiencing the pain is the expert on the intensity of the pain and the impact of you on your daily life. So the sort of things you need to tell your, your doctor or nurse are where you're feeling the pain, the quality of the pain, sharp, shoot, shooting, electric shock, burning, for example. What makes it better? What makes it worse? For example, being in the cold makes it much worse. Uh, the temporal pattern of pain, so does it happen all the time or does, does it just happen intermittently? Other symptoms that occur with the pain and, again, the degree of interference with your function, your quality of life. The pain team are the experts in sorting out the etiology of the pain and then discussing with you the various treatment options. So it's joint decision-making, but the expert on the pain itself the impact of, of the pain on you as a person is you as an individual. The treatment is very much directed towards relieving a symptom. Um, so the class of drugs that we often use are the antidepressants, for example, amitriptyline, nortriptyline, desipramine, cymbalta. And the analgesic effects of these antidepressants are not dependent on the antidepressant activities. So you often end up having a smaller dose of these drugs than you would if they were being used for clinical depression. And the analgesic effects are not clearly understood, but they're felt to be related to many different mechanisms. Another group of drugs that are used are anticonvulsants. And again, the analgesic mechanism is not clearly understood, but the groups of drugs that are often used are neurontin or gabapentin and pregabalin. And you might use a combination or maybe prescribe a combination of both the antidepressants and anticonvulsants. If the pain is quite acute and severe, as a temporary measure, you may be started on steroids um, while a, a long-term management plan is arrived at. And again, if the pain is significant and is persistent, 
opioid drugs may be used. Sometimes topical treatments uh, include um, uh, capsaicin, which is extracted from the chili peppers. Some people don't tolerate it well because initially it can cause some burning sensation. And then uh, another example would be Emla cream. This is a mixture of local anesthetics or topical lidocaine patch, and usually a 5% patch is used. Other non-pharmacological options are, uh, include biofeedback, relaxation therapy. Uh, as Dr. Silver talked about and Dr. Custodio will, will describe in detail, physically, physical and occupational therapy, which is incredibly important but often neglected, and you may have to ask for that. And then sometimes cognitive or behavioral strategies like meditation and guided imagery can be enormously helpful. Um, one technique that several patients have told me has been very helpful is if they've had a strong burning sensation uh, in their arm, uh, that sometimes this imagery of this cool blue water just streaming down through that arm, that hot, painful arm, can be enormously relaxing. But it's whatever the guided imagery and, or the meditation that works for that individual, and then you start working with that. Uh, there's being research being done in acupuncture, and then again, uh, transcutaneous uh, electrical nerve stimulation may also be used. And again, that may be something that Dr. Custodia will address. Um, what you need to do is keep a record of the pattern of the symptom, when it first started, what makes it better or worse. If you've had it in the past, if so, was it treated, and how effective was the treatment, and if it affects your ability to sleep, walk, move, do errands, etc. So that's very important that you bring that diary to your next clinic appointment, and you can share it with your clinician or nurse. Again, make sure that you're not taking anything toxic to the nerves. And as you heard, alcohol can be really toxic to the nerves. Just one or two drinks a day can make the pain worse. And if diabetic, uh, you need to be sure that your blood sugars uh, are under control because, again, sugar can be a toxin to the nerves. Keep ahead of the pain. If you wake up without much pain and don't take pain medication until the pain is severe, then it becomes more difficult to control. So try and keep ahead of the pain. And again, um, as, as I think Dr. Silver actually taught me this, she uh, said that um, combining pain medication is like being a great cook, getting the right combination for a particular patient. And so that's why you may have a combination uh, of different medications. Again, uh, large handle mirror to look at your feet because your hands may be clumsy and not well orientated, get a wider grip. And again, occupational therapy can be enormously helpful in some sort of assistive technology. Um, Stretching back on the heel tendons, if tight, uh, there can be more pressure and pain on walking. Focus on function and focus on what's working well and build that up. Um, again, Dr. Silver mentioned the stress mat in kitchens and at work, and that can be helpful to the feet going from mat to mat. Use uh, proper footwear and get new shoes regularly. And shoes with this wide toe block uh, and also considering uh, rocker bottom soles for the shoes. Work with physical therapy on balance and coordination. And men may actually, I've been told, sometimes benefit from sitting down when shaving. So it's this combination of approaches, um, uh, assessing pain, keeping a record of your pain, uh, medications, a variety of medications, and then the important um, uh, physical therapy or occupational therapy. So I'll stop here and hand it back um, uh, to you, Carolyn. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Quill, for just a wonderfully informative presentation. Very helpful, and um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you.
Our next speaker is Dr. Christian Custodio. Dr. Custodio is Cancer Rehabilitation Fellowship Director, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. He's Assistant Professor, Department of Rehabilitation Medicine, Weill Medical College of Cornell University. And Dr. Custodio is going to address how physical medicine and rehabilitation contribute to evaluating neuropathy, medical and rehabilitation management of neuropathy, and practical tips to cope with neuropathy. I now turn the program over to you, Dr. Custodio. Uh, thank you, Carly. Uh, I appreciate uh, and thanks to Cancer Care for allowing me this opportunity uh, to discuss uh, this very important topic. A um, couple definitions that I think we should start with. First off, peripheral neuropathy or neuropathy. You'll hear these terms exchanged uh, rather frequently. Neuropathy, peripheral neuropathy, and polyneuropathy. Basically, from our standpoint, they mean pretty much the same thing. They're defined as a condition that arises from damage or uh, malfunction of the peripheral nerves. Um, what physical medicine and rehabilitation is, it's a medical specialty that, as Dr. Silver addressed, is not just focused on the disease or the anatomic um, section of the nerves, but rather how the disease or the condition affects uh, an individual's ability to function, okay? So a physiatrist or a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor will approach a patient who has complaints that may be related to neuropathy um, in very much the same way as some physicians will approach any other condition. What we're going to do is we're going to assess, you know, based on questions, taking a, a thorough history and performing a comprehensive physical examination. Um, we're going to ask you questions about the character of your symptoms, okay? When did your symptoms start? How severe uh, your symptoms are? Um, are your symptoms over time getting worse, staying the same, or progressing? Um, we'll ask you about the character of your symptoms, if there is any pain. If so, how would you describe the pain? Is it sharp? Is it dull? Um, is there a certain quality or characteristic to the pain, like is it shooting or burning or electric? Uh, some of these signs or descriptions uh, help the physiatrists or your physicians you know, determine whether or not your symptoms may be due to neuropathy or may be due to some other non-neurologic cause. Um, additionally, we're going to ask you questions about how this is impacting on your day-to-day -day function. Are you having difficulties with balance or walking? Are you having difficulty with performing some of your day-to-day -day activities, such as getting dressed, grooming, bathing? Um, are you having trouble with fine motor tasks such as buttoning or typing, um, and how does all of this impact on your ability to function at home and at work? Um, the one thing about peripheral neuropathy, whether it's cancer treatment related or not, is there is a wide variety in presentation. Um, Patients have different degrees of severity. Patients will have different degrees of distribution of symptoms and different 
combinations of impairment, whether it's um, pain or numbness or impaired sensation or weakness. Um, most patients will describe or mention a combination of all of the above. Um, as part of the evaluation, other questions um, that your physiatrist may ask you are, do you have any associated medical conditions that may contribute to neuropathy, things like diabetes or rheumatologic uh, conditions or thyroid conditions? Uh, we'll ask about any family history of neuropathy because there is a large proportion of neuropathies that may be genetic or familial in character. Um, we will ask about other um, medication use and other um, uh, use such as alcohol or tobacco or drug use which can contribute or uh, to neuropathy. Um, once we, when we're, when we're doing the examination, um, what we're looking for or what we're trying to answer are, are your symptoms due to neuropathy? And if so, is the neuropathy due to uh, your previous cancer treatments or is it due to something unrelated? And also, as we're getting a sense of the severity and the distribution, are these symptoms severe enough to require intervention? And if so, what options do we have? And if someone is actively undergoing cancer treatments, either through chemotherapy or radiation therapy, one of the other questions that we have to keep in the back of our mind as we're evaluating patients with neuropathy is do we need to change or modify the present cancer treatment? Okay. Um, one of the tests that, one, that your physician may request or order is a test called an EMG, electromyography, or nerve conduction studies. What that test entails is uh, it's a test to see how well the nerves and muscles are working. Um, it helps confirm that you do have a peripheral neuropathy, and it also helps to exclude or rule out other potential causes of neuropathy. Um, it can help define the, the extent of the neuropathy. It can also help define the severity um, and to a certain extent, the, what we call the pathophysiology, how, how the neuropathy is um, uh, addressing you or, or affecting you on the nerve or cellular level. And also, it can also provide us with some information that can help um, gauge response to neuropathy treatments. It can help guide response and prognosis to nerve recovery. So it is a helpful test um, in the assessment of neuropathy. Okay. Um, as far as the medical and rehabilitation management of neuropathy, from a physiatry or physical medicine standpoint, we approach the management in two ways. One is to treat um, any underlying pain. And as Dr. Coyle mentioned, um, we have several pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic options for treating pain. 
Okay. Um, I should step back and one and note that one of the other medical ways we treat neuropathy is to help is to find out if there is an underlying cause, maybe not cancer related, i.e., if you we can determine that your neuropathy is due to previously under, undiagnosed diabetes treating the diabetes will help control and manage the neuropathy. Um, getting back to the rehabilitation management of neuropathy, getting the pain under control through pharmacologic means or non-pharmacologic means okay, um, is helpful um, because if your pain is under control, we will be able to better address the functional um, impairments and uh, difficulties that a neuropathy uh, may cause. Um, the functional deficits are related to the impairments that uh, you may have with your neuropathy. So certainly the most obvious thing is if you have weakness in your lower extremities, in your feet or hands associated to the neuropathy. Um, one of the principles that we'll approach with rehabilitation medicine or physical therapy or occupational therapy is strengthening those muscles that have been weakened. Um, additionally, you may have impairments because of lack of sensation. So one of the things that we'll do as far as rehabilitation is to try to teach your other nerves and senses, your visual uh, sense, to take over for the decreased sensation or the lost function and to compensate for those impairments. Um, we approach this through a team rehabilitation-oriented approach, uh, not just with physiatry or physical medicine, but also working with physical therapy and occupational therapy. We are all equally valuable members of the rehabilitation team. Um, a little brief definition of physical therapy versus occupational therapy. Physical therapy helps with mobilization and gross movements, so things like walking or movement or ambulation, a physical therapist can help improve strength, balance, and uh, walking safety. Um, occupational therapy works more with what we call activities of daily living, uh, things that you need to do on a day-to-day -day basis to keep functioning, um, dressing, grooming, uh, bathing, um, feeding. Um, they tend to work with hands and fine motor tasks as well, so things like neuromuscular re-education um, and coordination of the hands um, is something within the realm of occupational therapy. Um, during a physical or an occupational therapy session, um, you will learn what we call practical tips to help cope with your neuropathy depending on the, the type or severity of your impairments. Um, so getting to um, things like footwear um, as part of the physical therapist and the physiatry evaluation, we look at patients' shoes a lot uh, to determine, you know, if the shoes that you're wearing are appropriate for your neuropathy. In general, we recommend uh, that um, 
the grip surface on the shoes should be firm, okay? Uh, we tend to tell patients to avoid um, heels, okay? It should be flat-soled uh, shoes, and the insoles should not be too soft, okay? Um, because of the impairment or lack of sensation, we do recommend uh, that patients examine their feet um, in, in the soles of their feet, and you can use a mirror, uh, a handheld mirror to help with this, to look for signs or, or of injury, like abrasions or blisters or cuts and scrapes. Um, safety within the household or the home environment is also important uh, to avoid things like falls, uh, which patients with neuropathy and impaired balance are at higher risk for. Um, we recommend that you remove or tack down any loose rugs in the hallway or the, or the rooms. Uh, likewise, you know, tidy up and, and secure any loose wires um, that may be across the hallways, which may be um, a source of tripping and falling. Um, within the bathroom, uh, use non-skid bath mats. Um, if the impairments of the neuropathy are severe enough, things like shower chairs or shower grab bars may be helpful uh, in those situations. Um, we recommend keeping the rooms well lit um, and uh, use night lights uh, when you're up and walking at night. Um, and then when you're doing your day-to-day -day activities, be aware of your sensory impairments, especially when cooking. Uh, the, the lack of sensation in the hands do pace, place certain patients at risk for burn injuries. So we educate patients to avoid or protect against uh, thermal stresses, including reducing the hot water temperatures, uh, wearing gloves or using pot holders uh, while cooking. Um, and Additionally, sometimes we're not able to fully correct uh, the impairments, such as restoring sensation or improving strength. Um, and in those cases, we teach patients to how to, to compensate uh, for those um, impairments. Sometimes we'll use assistive devices to help improve balance, such as canes or walkers. Uh, sometimes we'll use uh, orthotics or orthoses, braces, to help compensate for some of the weakness uh, that's uh, associated with neuropathy. Um, we can talk uh, for hours regarding the, the myriad of impairments and disabilities associated with neuropathy, um, but I think I'm going to stop here um, and open up the forum for questions. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Custodio. A very, a very comprehensive presentation. Thank you. And we now do have time for questions, um, and I'm going to ask... Um, uh, Stephanie, to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Stephanie, could you explain to everybody how to queue up for questions, and could you also bring all of our speakers on board? Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star than 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Our first question comes from Polly P. Your line is open. 
Yes, hello. Thank you. That was very interesting. I assume I have neuropathy. My only symptom is that the bottom of my feet are always cold. And is is that unusual to have to just have that symptom? Okay, well, Polly, thank you for that question. I'm going to ask Dr. Coyle if you would address that question in a general way, and then Polly, we hope you'll take it back to the treating healthcare team. Um, Nessa? Right. Um, it's... Uh, it, it may just be in the sole of your feet. Um, in my experience, it's been more common that it, that it is more progressive than that. But, but perhaps Dr. Silver or Dr. Custodio, um, you could respond to that question too. Uh, sure. I could, the, Dr. Custodio here, uh, happy to respond to that. Most treatment neuropathies tend to affect the longest nerves uh, in the body first. So certainly the nerves going to the soles of the feet uh, can be effective. Um, and if your symptoms are just limited to the soles of the feet, it could uh, be a neuropathy. Certainly I would recommend you having this evaluated um, by your physician. But any impaired or changed sensation, such as feeling cold when it's actually hot out um, or feeling you know, a sensation of cold when something warm touches uh, your foot might uh, indicate a neuropathy. So Dr. Silva, do you want to add anything? I think that whenever people have questions about um, a certain diagnosis that they really need to talk to their doctors and get specific information and sometimes testing um, because it, there are a lot of questions. I'm sure we have um, almost 3,500 people on this call and I bet a lot of them, if not most of them, have specific questions. And I would just really encourage you to write down your questions and ask your, daughter, your doctor very specifically. You know, those, those meetings I know are so rushed sometimes and you don't get all your questions answered and you kind of forget what to ask and so on. Write them down now as you're thinking about this on this call and then ask your doctor, um, you know, whether, whether this might be a problem for you, whether this is neuropathy, what you should do, and so on. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so, Polly, thanks for that question, and I hope this is helpful to you and everybody else on the call as well. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Dennis C. Your line is open. If your line is on mute, can you please unmute it? Okay. I can, I'm sorry. Uh, I was wondering whether in your uh, experience cramps uh, are related at all to neuropathy either in the hands or the legs and feet. Thank you. Excellent question. Um, Dr. Silva, could you address that? Sure. Cramps may be related to neuropathy. They can also be related to other things. Um, one of the questions that your doctor would be sort of wondering is do you have other symptoms besides cramps? Do you have any numbness, tingling, burning? Um, that kind of thing. And it, again, it's really important when you're having specific symptoms to write them down, um, tell your doctor um, all those things that Dr. Coyle just mentioned, which was really great, when you have the symptoms, um, how severe are they, um, what do they feel like, what makes it better, what makes it worse. And if you can describe it, it's really helpful. What I always tell my patients is that they know their bodies far better than I could ever know their body, so they have to tell me that information. I really need it. There's no other way for me to understand what's going on um, other than for them to explain their symptoms step by step to me. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Custodio, could you comment on just the concept of a differential diagnosis or 
in simple layman's term, how does what is this what are the steps that a doctor goes through because we've had two wonderful questions and we have many more in queue, but how does a doctor, what are some of the steps they go through and what specialty goes through them to determine what actually is the cause of a, of a symptom that we've heard, various symptoms that people have? Could you, um, I know this is a whole, could be a whole course, but just briefly if you could just, um, <laughs> for the audience, so they could understand what, what would be a good example of this. Sure. Would, so as we're taking a history, as we're asking a patient question, the physician is thinking about what are the potential causes of this patient's symptoms, or as he develops, or as he's mentioning uh, a constellation of symptoms, um, what kind of pattern does this fit with? So if someone's complaining of, say, for example, pain and numbness in his foot, uh, we think about the possible causes of, of this. Could it be a neuropathy? Okay. Could it be a generalized nerve problem, something affecting all the nerves throughout the body, or is it limited to one nerve? Um, and where along the course of that nerve is it affected? Is it coming from the back, say a pinched nerve in the back, or is it coming from um, a big nerve running down the back of the leg, or is it isolated to just one little branch of a nerve uh, in, in the foot? Um, so part of what we're trying to do as physicians is to kind of take these symptoms that a patient will be describing and try to narrow it down uh, to a certain number of differential diagnoses, uh, what we think may be the most likely causes or culprits of a patient's symptoms, and to systematically try to you know, confirm something in the differential diagnosis and to exclude the other less likely possibilities. If, if I could add just add one thing, and that is that um, no symptom is too small to report. Sometimes people feel that you know it, it's it's not a major symptom. They shouldn't you know they should be grateful uh, having their chemotherapy. Everything seems to be their cancer seems well under control, etc. And they don't want to bother people with these symptoms. But it's extremely important if you have a symptom which is new for you that you report it right away. Make a note, um, describe the symptom, write it down. You're the expert, and then speak to your doctor or nurse about it. So it's very important that those symptoms are identified early on. And so if interventions, so they can be sorted out what the probable cause is, and then an intervention uh, can be, you know, sort of uh, put into effect. So don't be afraid to talk about symptoms, even though they seem mild. Still, it's better to report them early. Thank you. Wow, these are great questions. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Lawrence Kay. Your line is open. Hello. Uh, at the beginning of the um, talk, there was mention of materials. Uh, I didn't see any materials with the announcement. Uh, should there have been any distributed? So um, uh, actually, Lawrence, what I'll do is I will contact you after the call. Everyone was either sent um, materials via email or um, uh, received uh, paper materials, um, depending on how you registered, and we will send them out to you and anyone else who might not have gotten their materials. Um, if you just registered today, of course, um, you might still be getting them. If you registered a couple of days ago, you should have them. So we'll be sure to send them out to you. They'll be helpful resources for you to have going forward. So thank you. Our next question. 
Our next question comes from Don F. Your line is open. Hello. Um, I have neuropathy, and I have mostly uh, numbness in my feet and hands um, that seems to get worse as I use them uh, during a day. So I, I comment on that. And then a second question is I also have, um, which I don't think I heard mentioned, pain sometimes when I begin to chew the first time in a meal and also sometimes when I begin to tear up initially. I have shooting pains from both of those. So I, I don't know. I've assumed that that's part of neuropathy, but I'm not sure. When you tear up, do you mean you, um, you said what you mean by that? Or if I'm simply, my eyes are, are watering, it could be happy or sad or whatever. Okay. All right, excellent. Okay. Dr. Custodia, would you like to address that? Um, certainly. The Well, I guess it's a two-part question. The first part with the neuropathy, it certainly sounds like you have neuropathy, but um, again, um, those questions regarding the neuropathy and whether it I'm sorry, the question was whether it worsens or, or seems to worsen during the day. Um, those characteristics can sometimes um, indicate um, a, you know, neuropathy versus other types of neuropathy, whether it's treatment neuropathy or not, um, and those can be addressed by your physician. Um, likewise, the, the new symptoms that you're describing of jaw and facial pain um, associated with chewing and tearing um, should be evaluated um, by your physician as well. And by a physician, possibly your dentist as well? Or just um, I mean, I would maybe start off with your primary physician. If it's jaw pain, then certainly your dentist might be able to address that, okay? But they would probably be the first step um, in helping to determine what's, you know, causing uh, these new symptoms. Excellent. And, and maybe I'm going to ask everybody to talk about this multidisciplinary team, because we often talk about it, you know, it takes a village, but it takes a team sometimes yeah. of experts. And I think Dr. Custodio has addressed the fact that always best to bring it first to your physician as opposed to, but do you want to comment on that, just who might be the physician, who would the physician coordinate with, with all the other issues that someone might bring to them? Right. Well, if I could just make a, a brief comment, because yes. uh, usually uh, in um, cancer and cancer treatment and survivorship follow-up, there's a very close team between the physician and the uh, nurse. And so the nurse is often might be one of the uh, primary people who the, the patient is interacting with most, uh, most frequently and can often help that patient to uh, put, uh, describe the symptoms in a way that uh, there's easy communication with the physician colleague. And then um, the idea of always putting it into the context of this whole human being and because there may be uh, several medical issues, uh, some related to the cancerous treatment or some absolutely unrelated, and one needs to put all of that together. Um, yeah, echoing that, absolutely. The nurses serve as a very valuable and first-line um, communication source. Um, the team that's managing uh, cancer patients and survivors, I think, is is growing um, as far as roles rapidly. Certainly, the rehabilitation team, uh, the physiatrist, the physical therapist, and the occupational therapist all play roles. Uh, but we're in constant communication with the oncology 
services, both uh, including the medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, and surgical oncologists. Um, the pain services are also involved as well, as well as any other um, associated um, medical services depending on the patient's uh, underlying uh, associated medical conditions. Dr. Silvers, do you want to add anything? Because this is so important for people. Right. It is really important. And, you know, I just want to make the distinction between um, really um, sort of taking charge of your symptoms and writing those down versus taking charge of the diagnosis and sort of coming to your own conclusions. So my advice to the people on this call is really take charge of your symptoms, write those down, and report them to your doctor or to the nurse practitioner or whoever is coordinating your care. And then the person who's in charge, whoever that is, should be the one developing that list called the differential diagnosis list um, of, of things. And, you know, one one thing that I think is really important, while it's a great idea, uh, for example, to see your dentist and so on, um, you know, your dentist may not be completely clued in about all the different things that are happening. So if we use the jaw pain example, if I'm the treating oncologist, which I'm not because I'm a physiatrist, a different kind of medical doctor, but let's just pretend for a minute that I'm the treating oncologist and I decided to treat a patient for um, problems relating to their cancer that have to do with their bone density, and I put them on a certain prescription medication for bone density, if that patient came back to me and said, oh, by the way, I have jaw pain, I would immediately be thinking, hey, that medication I just prescribed for her um, potentially has a complication of jaw pain that's a side effect of this particular medication. So I think it's really important um, when you have cancer or you're getting cancer treatment or you're a survivor and you've been through cancer treatment to really start with making sure that your oncology team and at the top of that team would be your oncologist that you're fo that's following you um, really knows what's going on in your symptoms and then certainly coordinating that care appropriately um, with you know, a nurse navigator, um, physiatrist, you know, other people, and so on. But your oncologist really needs to hear what your sympt what symptoms you're having. Wonderful. I want to thank all of our speakers today. You've been really extraordinary. I want to thank all of you who've queued up and asked such wonderful questions. This has been an extraordinary call, um, and your questions have been amazing. And I hope that you've all gotten some help with a with that part of the call with all the different um, suggestions and, and, and comments from our speakers as well as their presentations. I also want to thank all of you who have been listening. And I do want to remind you that this is a one-hour education workshop. And in planning a program like this, we recognize that you all have many needs that go way beyond the scope of one hour. So I do want to remind all of you that in addition to this program, which will end soon, we have many services that you can access um, endlessly um, from Cancer Care and all the different collaborating organizations so that um, all the different organizations that are listed that worked with us on this program. And I want to say a word about Cancer Care Services as well. Uh, cancer Care has a staff of over 35 oncology social workers, and we're here to provide a host of services for you, both someone to talk to, to provide counseling support. Also, we do have support groups. Um, and we do those support groups on the telephone online. We also offer practical and financial assistance, um, as well as having lots of materials and booklets and fact sheets as well, and of course many of these workshops that we offer throughout the year. 
Most importantly, I don't want anyone to leave today's program feeling like you're alone. If you didn't get to ask your question, please call Cancer Care staff. Um, you also can call the Information Specialist at the National Cancer Institute as well. Um, but do call us, and we will all try to help you with your questions or concerns. Um, if questions and concerns come up for you over the next weeks or months, please call us. Know that you have a resource. Um, also, I do want to encourage all of you, of course, to send in your um, feedback to us, your evaluations. We always appreciate your feedback. It helps us in planning and going forward, um, and also any questions that you might have that you include in your, in your evaluations as well. I want to thank all of you for participating today, and I want to thank you all very much, and have a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect and have a wonderful day.